Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. We're in the middle of harvest at the moment, with winter barley and winter oats largely complete. Most other crops of oilseed rape and early sown spring barley are now ready for harvest as soon as the weather settles down a little. Where fields of winter barley or oats are cleared, this creates an ideal opportunity to plant a cover crop. We know cover crops are useful for many different functions on the farm, but many farmers also see them as an inconvenience both to plant and manage before the next crop. Richie Hackett, a researcher in Chagas Oak Park, has been working with cover crops for over 10 years and joins me today to go through some of his findings, especially the advantages of planting cover crops early. Richie, you're very welcome to the podcast. And I first want to talk to you about the terminology around planting a crop, as in the crop between one crop, one main crop and the next crop. These can be called cover crops, catch crops, green cover. You might maybe explain the differences between them. I suppose, as you said, they're, they're all about maintaining something, uh, a growing plant between two main crops. So say for uh, growing spring barley after spring barley, the ground would normally be left bare over the winter period. Uh, but when we, when we talk about the, these cover crops or natural regeneration, we're talking about maintaining uh, something growing there over the winter period. And I suppose the main difference is whether we're just allowing whatever would normally regrow after the harvest to, to grow or whether we're actually sowing something. So whether, where we're just leaving something to grow naturally, we call it natural regeneration, but where we're sowing an actual seed into the soil, we, we would call it a cover crop or a catch crop. And then once we start sowing seeds, there's a range of names that are, that are used, such as cover crops, catch crops, green manures. Uh, and I suppose they, the, the, the ter- they are, they're all exactly the same, mean exactly the same, but I suppose the, the different names would have arisen based on what objective was being trying to be be achieved by growing the crop. So for example, the catch crop would have been grown to catch nutrients that, that would have been where that term would have uh, arisen from. A cover crop would have arisen from where you were trying to protect the soil from erosion, either wind erosion or, or water erosion. Um, so it, it really comes down to the, the function of green manure is where you're growing the crop to actually provide some benefit to, to, the, to the next crop. Um, but they're all essentially the same thing. Uh, they're, they're exactly the same. Um, the, the, the same crop could be called the three different terms so that they, they all mean this, the same thing. Okay, so you, you, you pointed out, Richie, you know, uh, one of the things that a cover crop can do in terms of protecting the, the soil, but it obviously can play um, or can have a few more functions, if you like, for the farmer. You might just give us an idea about those kind of main functions. Well, I suppose in, in, in our environment, probably the principal uh, function of, of a vegetation over the winter period is, is to reduce nutrient loss via leaching or prevent nutrients being washed out of the soil over the winter, because obviously we get quite a lot of rainfall over the winter, very little evaporation. So all that rainfall is moving down through the soil and carrying any nutrients that are in the soil. We had, if we put in a, a growing vegetation, it's going to soak up those nutrients. And the main one we're talking about is, is nitrate. That's the one that there are issues about, particularly in, in the south and southeast of, of, of the country, in, in, in the rivers, in, in those areas. But I suppose as well as that, um, that there are a number of other functions. Um, I mentioned it, it can prevent either wind or, or water erosion. I suppose water erosion will be the main issue in, in our climate again. Uh, they can have a they can have an, an improving effect on soil structure. The, the presence of the growing roots in, in the soil can, can help maintain or, or improve uh, soil structure. 
um, there is the potential to increase nutrient supply to, to the next crop and thereby reduce your fertilizer uh, inputs. Um, but I suppose the other one as well that a lot of people grow them for is, is to improve organic matter or to improve the soil quality or, or the soil health. Um, and and they, they can have some benefits in that regard as well. Okay, so if we maybe just focus on the organic matter first for, for a moment. How significant is the amount of cover that the crop can grow in, in a particular year? And if we just maybe put that in, in comparison to what a farmer can visualize, so something like, say, putting on a, a reasonable application of, of, of farmyard manure. Yeah, well, they can provide reasonable amounts of, of carbon. So if, if we were to take, say, a, a 25 ton per hectare application of, of uh, farmyard manure, which is a, a reasonable dressing of, of farmyard manure, you, you might expect that would be putting in something like 2.5 tons per hectare of carbon in, into the soil. Uh, a, a cover crop, a sown cover crop, so something that's sown, say, mid-August, you might expect it to, to produce three tons of, of dry matter. Uh, by by say Christmas and and that would be putting in sort of of the order of 1.2 1.3 tons per hectare of carbon back into the soil so roughly half what you're dressing of of of, of farmyard manure and if we compare it to straw I suppose a lot of straw being chopped this year um it would be a little bit if, if we were to take a, a three ton uh, or 7.5 ton per hectare uh, spring barley crop say that when if you chop in the straw of that it might be putting in you know, 1.8, 1.9 tons of carbon versus your 1.2, 1.3 from your cover crop. So it's 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 a little bit lower than say a, a, a straw where straw is chopped, but it's it's still a, a, a potentially significant amount of, of carbon. Okay, yeah, it, it is quite a lot. And then when you think about that, obviously there's there, there's a you mentioned that nitrogen is going to be mopped up. So for that organic menu, organic matter that is trapped, if you like, how will that decaying organic matter supply the next crop or can it supply the next crop with the nitrogen that it, it trapped in that year? It can uh, supply some. It uh, The problem is the effects are, are, are very variable. So we, we, we've done quite a bit of work on that back through the years. Uh, and where you have a, a non-leguminous cover crop, so something like uh, mustard or phacelia or, or radish or something like that, um, it, it's quite difficult to, to show nitrogen benefits in the next crop on a consistent basis. Yes, you, you can show them uh, in, in occasional years, but it's very hard to show them in, in a consistent basis. And unless you can show them in a consistent or a predictable basis, it's very hard uh, to, to, to reduce your, 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 your nitrogen uh, accordingly, but they, they can. Uh, I suppose one of the more recent bits of work that we're doing um, is where we're looking at, at legumes and the potential of, of those to, to, to provide nitrogen to the succeeding crop. And, and they're showing a lot more potential to, to, to provide nitrogen to, to the succeeding crop. Okay. And when we talk about nitrogen, you mentioned earlier about the, uh, the, the if you like, the free nitrogen or the nitrogen in, in the soils at the end of the season that is there a potential to be leached. What sort of leaching can happen um, in, on a free draining soil? And how much of that um, potential leached nitrogen can a cover crop retain in a particular year? Well, the amount of, of nitrate being leached is, is, is highly variable. It will really depend on, on how much nitrogen is, is, is left in the soil after the, the crop has grown. But I mean, 80, 90, 100 kilos per hectare, uh, it, 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 wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be common, but it's, it's entirely possible, particularly on, on, on light free draining soils. And if, if a lot of fertilizer has been applied to the, to the previous crop, 
but where, where you put in a, a, a cover crop, um, you'd be looking at reducing the, 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 the amount of the, the kilos per hectare of nitrate being lost by, you know, 50, 60 percent. If you get if you get good growth of, of the, the cover crop, at least 50, 60 percent. But then if you've got relatively poor growth of the cover crop, um, that that figure will 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 reduce. Um, so the, the cover crop can can reduce the amount being lost quite significantly, particularly if, if there's good growth of the of the cover crop. Okay. And so when you're and we'll come to this in a second in terms of the time of sowing has a big influence on the amount of, of, of dry matter that is produced in a year, the amount of I suppose overall bulk or growth in a crop in a cover crop in a particular year. If a farmer was to go out, say in September or October, say, and he's to to assess the cover crop um, that might be in the field, can you we can the farmer equate the amount of dry matter or amount of material, fresh matter material that's there to the amount of nitrogen that's possibly captured in that crop? That's that's a difficult question. Um, but what I would say is if 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 there was just one crop in the field, so if it was just say mustard, it might be possible to develop a sort of a rule of thumb. That would allow you to equate the, the, the two. In, in other words, if you had X amount of dry matter, you'd have Y amount of, uh, of nitrogen. But the problem is when you have multiple different types of cover crops, so you might have mustard in one field, facility in another field, they're, they're quite different in their sort of nitrogen dry matter relationship. And then to make things even more complicated, many people are growing mixtures, uh, which makes it even more complicated again. There, there is some work ongoing uh, abroad trying to relate those two and trying to do it using satellites and, and that sort of thing but it, it's it's at an early stage okay so more work to be done on that for sure yeah so you also mentioned before we kind of get on to your experiments just one last um, word maybe on you mentioned cover crops and some people are looking at them towards um i i suppose um helping the soil and soil health have you done any work on that richie or where might that come into play we, we have looked, so I suppose soil health is, is a very broad term and encompasses many different aspects of what goes on in the soil. We, we have looked at, at, at some of them. I mentioned the, the, the carbon effect. Um, so I said, you know, a, a three ton per hectare uh, a cover crop might, might return 1.2 tons per hectare of carbon to the soil. Now, not all that carbon is re retained, you know, only about 20% of that will actually be retained on any sort of long-term basis by, by the soil. But that, that carbon will, will tend to feed the microorganisms in, in the soil. It'll also uh, help, the, it provides food for earthworms. Uh, we, we have looked at, at the effect of cover crops on earthworms and uh, in a relatively short term uh, trial over three years, we didn't find huge effects of cover crops on, on earthworm numbers. There was some effect, but it was, it was fairly modest. Um, but yes, they, 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 they will have a positive effect on, on soil health over time, but it, it, it will be modest as will all effects of cover crops. It, you really need to do it year after year after year for a good number of years before you'll get uh, significant positive effects on, on any aspect of the soil. So when we then turn to um, some of the uh, work that you're, 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 you're done in Oak Park or you most recently produced a video that's up on the Chagas Crops YouTube page um, that gives a, a, a really brilliant and very visual uh, look at the time of sowing and the influence that that can have on the medical cover crop that's going to end up in, in the end. You might just give us a little bit of a background to, to, to that trial in terms of the planting and the, maybe the types of crops that you used for that trial and maybe why you picked those crops in particular? 
Yeah, well, I suppose there was a lot of people asking, you know, just how big an effect does does sowing time have on cover crop growth? Uh, so we decided to to do this trial just to look at that, um, and we were looking at uh, sort of the, the, the sort of normal range of sowing dates that you might have for cover crops. So we looked uh, last day or thirty to July as, as sort of being a, a very early date, only possible really after after uh, say winter barley or, or winter oats. We looked at sort of a mid uh, a mid August sowing date, uh, which might be possible after spring barley and sort of a, a, a normal harvest. And, and then we looked at, at early September, I think it was the 8th of September that we had uh, a sort of uh, a late, so what we'd regard as a late sowing date, but what often happens in our conditions when you get a, a, wet, a wet harvest. And at each of those sowing dates, we, we sowed two cover crops. We, we, sowed, uh, we used, chose mustard as, as an example of a, a relatively fast growing non-legume um, cover crop, it, it, it could have been any any non-legume, it could have been radish or facilia as well, but we just chose mustard. It's one that we have a bit of experience with here. Uh, and then as a, an example of a legume, we, we chose a hairy vetch because we know it grows well and it's quite winter hardy and it, it's not going to get killed off by, by frost. But we just wanted the, the, the two uh, contrasting uh, cover crop types, uh, a legume and, and, and uh, a non-legume, um, and we just chose those two as, as examples of each of those. Okay, some people I suppose might argue, um, geez, you should have used maybe a mix of plants, use four or five or maybe six or maybe a 10-way mix. Um, a lot of people would suggest that that's, that's a better way of going. You decided not to go down that route? Yeah, we uh, two reasons for that, I suppose. First of all, we, we wanted to do quite a bit of work on, on the cover crop uh, going into the, uh, as it was plowed down into the, the soil and, and uh, spring barley crop sown over it. We wanted to follow the, the breakdown of the cover crop. And when you use mixtures, it can get, that can get a little bit tricky. Um, but I suppose the second reason is that um, there isn't a huge amount of, of scientific evidence to suggest that uh, cover mixtures of cover crops are hugely better than, than uh, monocultures. I was reading a, a, a summary of work that was done from studies around the world um, there recently, and, and they looked at the effect of mixtures versus having just the, the individual components grown separately. And, and they didn't really find any uh, consistent benefit uh, of, of the mixtures over the over the, the individual varieties grown on uh, the individual species grown on, on, on their own. Um, so we, 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 we chose not to, but obviously if you're growing for a gloss or EFA, you have to grow a mixture of two and it's probably not, not bad practice to, 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 to grow uh, more than one for a species in case one doesn't grow very well. But just for the particular experiment we were doing, we wanted to keep it simple and not get overly complicated to allow us to follow things through the, the next uh, spring barley crop. Okay, so in terms of growth, then you, you found very big differences then between the different sowing dates. You might maybe run us through that. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, we expected differences, but probably not differences as big as, 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 as we got. Um, so right, right from the get-go, uh, that sown in, in early, uh, early August or mid-August is obviously going to be emerging in, in warmer conditions with longer day length and obviously temperature and, and light are what drive uh, growth. Uh, whereas something that's sown in early September is emerging in cooler temperatures and, and shorter days. Um, but right, right from the get-go, there was quite significant uh, differences be between the, the growth of the different sowing dates. 
And uh, we, we, we measure, we actually went out and took samples out of the crop um, at a couple of stages uh, during the year. But if, if we just look maybe at, at uh, we, we took a, a set of samples in, in early December when growth is more or less finished at that stage, the cover crop isn't going to grow much more than that. And, and for example, the mustard that we measured, we measured the, the growth of the mustard at that stage. And the, the, the crop of mustard that was sown on, on the 30th of July was yielding about uh, four and a half tons per hectare of dry matter. Whereas something that was sown in, in just, just three weeks later, in mid-August, uh, the 18th of August, was, was yielding two and a half tonnes per hectare. And, and again, when we delayed the sowing day three weeks more to early September, we were losing another two tonnes per hectare. We're only getting 0.5 of a tonne per hectare. So we're basically dropping two tonnes per hectare of dry matter for every three weeks we, we, we delayed uh, sowing in, in that particular trial. Now, it might be different in different seasons, and we'll repeat it again this year to see what happens, but it, it was certainly a, a very dramatic um, uh, reduction in growth, and anyone that looks at the video will, will, will visually see those those huge differences. Very, very big differences. That, and I suppose the very striking difference, I suppose, was the fact that um, your mustard uh, that you planted in uh, late July uh, was flowering, I suppose, in Late September was it or mid September? Um, is is that a worry for farmers in terms of people might be a bit nervous of sowing them too early, um, uh, with a possibility of getting too big of a canopy to a degree, and maybe having seed return coming back from them? Yeah, well that that's uh, that that is a risk. Now it, it the, the crop did flower. It did it did actually produce seed. It was the first time I'd actually seen mustard to actually produce. Uh, seed in the pods but the seed never matured and it, it never got to a stage where it ripened if you like you're you're not going to ripen a huge amount of seed in, in the middle of December which is when it would have been sort of ripening um, but it, it, it's certainly an issue it, it's potentially an issue and you probably need to choose your species fairly carefully if you're sowing very early and going to allow the crop to grow for, for a, a, a long period. In terms of the actual biomass that's not so, so I'm not so sure that's such a big issue um, and in terms of getting benefits from cover crops, the more biomass you can grow, um, the better. In, in, in our case, uh, we, we didn't have any problems uh, plowing down the, the material directly without any pre-treatment such as chopping or, or, or spraying off. Um, and we were able to, to get a, a very good coverage uh, of the crop in, in, in the plow base system. Okay. And in, in all of the different sowing dates, did was there a differential between them in terms of the crop's performance against weeds? Were they able to suppress weeds, I suppose, in, in essence? Yeah, there was, there was a very big difference. Uh, so the, 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 the last sowing date in, in early September uh, grew very slowly and the weeds were able to get get established and we're able to, to produce a, a, a lot of biomass in, in, in that sowing date. So when we measured the, 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 the crop in, uh, in December, you know, 60 to 80% of what was actually there was weeds rather than what, what was uh, sown cover crop. Whereas when we looked at the earlier sowing dates, the amount of weeds was, was quite small. The, 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 the late July sowing date had virtually no weeds in it because uh, the crop was just so vigorous, the weeds couldn't compete against it. And, and the mid-August um, sowing date had very, very little weeds as, as well. So uh, there was certainly, a, the later you went, the, the more weeds uh, more weeds and less sown cover crop that, that you ended up with. Okay. And I suppose many farmers in, in that circumstance would um, regard volunteer cereals as a weed, now potentially you could argue it's, it's growing good bio, biomass, but 
did you um, get rid of the volunteer serials or what was, I suppose, firstly, were they a problem? And if they were, did you get rid of them? And maybe a secondary question for a farmer on the ground, should they be concerned about lots of volunteers coming through from the point of view of disease carryover and that kind of thing? Yeah, there, there was very few of volunteers in, in, in the crop uh, coming up to, uh, uh, you know, a, a, after after December, if you like. Now, that said, we had some problems in the very early sowing date. We, we had some problems with uh, just behind the, the combine. There was a, an awful lot of volunteers that were actually uh, killing our, our, our um, they were over competing with the, the cover crops. So we, we actually had to go in and, and, and spray them off or we're, otherwise we we're just going to have strips of, of barley and strips of, of cover crop. Uh, but in, in, in an adjacent trial, we, we, we didn't uh, spray off the, 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 the barley uh, and it had all died by time, you know, we, we came to plow our, our crop in, in, in February. Um, but certainly, um, if, if the, the, the barley was still green, if the, or the volunteers, uh, be the barley or, or wheat volunteers were, were still green, you, you might be worried about um, a carryover of, of disease or, 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 or aphids. And in that case, you'd probably uh, spray off your, your cover crop, uh, you know, in, in whatever, uh, December or, or January and, and have it well killed be, before you did it, incorporate it. And when we talk about the end of season um, uh, scenario, I, I think you might have mentioned a, a little bit about it, but you might just give us an outline of how you managed the large crop and the small crop at the end of the season in terms of going in for the next crop. Yeah, as I said, we, we, we were in a plough-based system, so we decided we wouldn't use glyphosate, given that there's some concerns about the future of glyphosate. We, we said, well, well, we'll see what would happen if, if we didn't have uh, access to, uh, to, to glyphosate. So we decided not to fly, to, to spray off with, with, with glyphosate and we just plowed them in directly and we did plow them in quite directly quite close to, to, to sowing uh, again we wanted to see what would happen if in a situation you, you were forced into to, to incorporating quite close to uh, to, to sowing um, but we didn't have any problems um, that the, the plow gave quite good coverage of, of, of all the material it would actually have been very difficult to have gone out into the field and, and shown where the, the, the plots had been sown uh, without a, having a spade and doing quite a bit of digging to, to actually dig up the, the, the covered uh, material. Okay. And if, if you were in a non-plough-based system, what would your approach have been? Well, I think if we were in a non-plough-based system, we would probably have had to, we would probably have had to spray off with glyphosate uh, at some stage, um, probably uh, a good bit before we, we, we sowed the, the, the cover crop uh, ju just to try and, and manage that, that biomass. You know, it, if, if it was just at, um, the mustard, you could probably get away with chopping. If it had flowered, you'd probably get away with chopping. It's probably not going to, to, to regrow, provided there wasn't uh, any weeds, uh, weed grasses or whatever uh, in, in, the, in the field. In, in our field, we didn't have, I should have mentioned that, we didn't have any uh, you know, uh, perennial weed grasses in uh, present either, like scotch or that, that we, had, we would have had to use uh, glyphosate in that situation. So when all that's considered, Richie, and I know you're, the, the, the trials are still ongoing and, and in fairness, you've been doing trials probably for the last 10 or more years, let's say, on this. In, in, from what you know and you understand about cover crops at the moment, is it worthwhile for farmers to consider planting cover crops? And I suppose really in the absence of a financial incentive, if you like, for, for first and foremost. 
Well, I, I, th I think there is an environmental benefit uh, to, to, to growing cover crops. I mentioned the reduction in, 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 in nitrate, that, uh, nitrate loss that cover crops give, and that's going to come more to the fore uh, as we go forward. So there's definitely an environmental benefit. Uh, but I suppose one of the problems is in terms of agronomic benefits, it's, it's quite difficult to show consistent agronomic benefits due solely to, to uh, cover crops. And given that if you're actually sowing a cover crop, you're incurring a seed cost and, and, and a, a some sort of machinery cost, as well as perhaps a, a destruction cost. If you're not getting a benefit afterwards, you know, the, the benefits, the economic benefits are, are marginal at, at best. So it, it's, it's certainly something to, uh, to um, consider, uh, you know, sow a cover crop, but you just need to, take careful rein of any cost that you incur and try maximize uh, maximize the amount of growth that you're getting from the cover crops so that you maximize your, your chances of getting a, a benefit uh, in, in either soil properties or, or in the, the succeeding crop. Okay so the same in everything Richie if you're going to do it do it do it properly if you like. Pretty much yeah if you, if you don't do it if you, if you don't do it properly your, your chances of getting a benefit are, are quite slim kind of waste your money richie thank you very much for your time um it's a it's a really um fascinating topic i suppose in the sense of i think an awful lot more farmers probably will be doing it whether they whether they like it or not maybe with some of the maybe the new rules that are coming at everybody um so look uh, all the research that you're doing is certainly going to, to to feed into the best management of that richie thanks again for your time and we'll be chatting to you again thank you that's it for the tillage edge and my thanks to richie for joining me today Remember to keep farm safety high in the agenda, especially as children are still on holidays, as they may venture a bit closer to machinery operations than you might like. It's a busy time and tiredness often follows long working hours, and this can allow slips in safety awareness potentially resulting in mistakes and accidents. So take regular breaks and keep safety for yourself, your loved ones and employees to the forefront of your mind. And finally, don't forget if you like this podcast then recommend it to a friend or colleague, and as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chargas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.